It's time for episode 11 of the Clockwise podcast from the editors of TechHive, PC World, and Macworld for the week of September 23rd, 2013. Clockwise, four guests, four topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast that's right twice a day. I'm your co-host, editorial director, Jason Snell, and to my left at the three o'clock position on the clock is editor-in-chief of PC World and Tech Hive, John Phillips. Hi, John. Hey, Jason. Welcome back to this crazy podcast we do. Thank you very much. And sitting across from me is my co-host, senior editor, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. I didn't know we were doing clock metaphors today. I didn't prepare. You're at the, you're in the six. You're, you're I on my six. I never learned to tell time. Oh, it's very sad. That's unfortunate. Um, well, sitting at, at, to my left at, I think, what actually is the nine o'clock position, yes. if I'm correctly interpreting well this. Well done. Whew, woo, is uh, PC World Senior Editor Mark Hockman. Mm, Welcome, Mark. Hi, how are you? I'm, I'm well. Thanks for being here. Jason, tell us a little bit about this crazy crazy ordeal that we're going to put this, <laughs> this ordeal yes uh so here's how it works uh each one of us has brought a technology topic that we think is worth discussing today and because we do not want to waste your precious time we'll limit each of those topics to just five minutes of discussion so i'll go first and then the action will move around the hands of the clock clockwise <laughs> from there uh i wanted to talk about something that amazon announced on uh tuesday night I guess I guess midnight if uh, you're if you're an East Coaster, um, new Kindle Fires, the Kindle Fire HDX line, and you know there are lots of interesting specs. They're really light, which when um, I was uh, I, I reviewed the Sony um, Xperia Tablet Z, and the thing about it, it was it's waterproof. I, I don't really care, but um, it was really light. It was made of plastic, but it was it it felt pretty solid and so light, so much lighter than an iPad. And these Kindles are going to be pretty light too, which I think is really interesting. They, they've got great screens, lots of power, and they're running what Amazon is calling Fire OS. So Amazon has officially branded <laughs> the, the forked version of Android that they're using. It runs, all, it runs Android apps downloaded from Amazon's own Android app store. It's fascinating. And so what I wanted to ask you guys was um, – it strikes me that Amazon is uh, primed to be the best tablet competitor for Apple. Uh, there are a lot of Android tablets out there, but they don't seem to have the traction that Android phones do, possibly because they're not sold in carrier stores and sort of uh, uh, you know through those, those promotional channels of, uh, of phone carriers. So they have to make their way a little more on their own. And then here's Amazon, who has, has forked the operating system, has their own app store, and seems to be doing a pretty good job with their hardware design now, too. So I'm, I'm interested. Is, is a is Amazon the best uh, iPad competitor out there? And, and what do you think of the Kindle Fire HDX? John Phillips, let's start with you. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if you look at the, the competitors, especially in the Android space, you're really only looking at the Nexus 7. So, yeah, there are 10-inch tablets out there. There are, there are competing products from uh, the big traditional OEMs like you know Samsung and Sony. They're out there. But when you're thinking about what consumers are actually buying, you're looking at iPads, uh, the Nexus, and now these uh, Kindle Fire HDXs. And, you know, look, Amazon has this incredible advantage of every time someone goes to the Amazon homepage, they are greeted. <laughs> they're selling you their <laughs> right. products. They're right. greeted with, with an ad for, um, for their tablets. So, you know, that right off the bat gets, you know, builds incredible mindshare. The other thing is, you know, 
I think we sometimes as tech journalists we can become a little bit too obsessed with specs. And yeah, the screen is awesome, and you know we know that these are super high res- resolution Retina quality screens. I think the um, the general public they're more interested in is this going to be light enough for extended use. So I think you nailed it on that point. But also Amazon is really pushing uh, the the software feature um, set as well, and so. They have this new uh, technology. Actually, it's an old tech for Amazon, but they're bringing it to the tablets now, the X-ray feature. Right. So it's a, it's for essentially a second screen viewing experience. So you're watching a, a movie or a TV show. Uh, you can – I don't even think you have to query the tablet. It will just spit out uh, from IMDb the – the actors who are appearing owned by in Amazon. that movie. What's that? <laughs> IMDb owned by Amazon. <laughs> right. Clever. I mean, it's... Uh, well, and it's all about that, right? Yeah. It's all about media consumption mostly. You've got apps, you can play games, but you've also got this whole thing where you're doing, um, you know, you've got books and, and, and movies and TV shows, and they're all front and center in the interface in a way that it isn't on a, on a regular Android tablet. Right. Yeah. Dan, what do you think? Well, you just said exactly what I was going to say, you uh-huh. jerk. I think it's it's interesting how much they've stressed that media consumption part of it, which I think Apple has definitely played that up on the iPad side, but they've also tried to go beyond that to talk about productivity and a bunch of other stuff. Amazon seems to be very focused on this idea of your, your tablet as the other device that you're using while you're watching TV or listening to music, what have you. And, and there's a lot of room for them in that market, and obviously it's a very good place for them to be because of Amazon's predilection for selling media, right? Like that... that that seems like a logical tie-in right there. And in the same way that its traditional Kindles have been so focused on books, um, they're sort of expanding the Kindle fire saying, well, you, you, you read books, but you also watch TV or listen to music. And so here's how we can bring the same experience or similar sort of experience that we brought to you with Kindle and books to other media. Um, and and that's that's something that sets it apart, especially from most of the other tablets, which don't have the ability to leverage that kind of media consumption, right? Because Amazon has it all in the same way that Apple has its own end-to-end solution. But you don't see that from Motorola or other folks making Android tablets. Because Sony they can't, actually they tries can't to do that. that. I mean, well, Google mm-hmm. with the Nexus 7 Absolutely. is using Google yeah. stores, but any of the OEMs sure. aren't doing that. And Sony actually is sort of trying to do that too, and it's weird. <laughs> so, but it's Sony really has tried weird. that in a lot of cases, and it's, it's always and if, it's weird. It's not good. <laughs> yeah, and if you're third or fourth to that market, are, do you really have a chance? <laughs> you yeah, know? That's yeah. pretty tough. I mean, my credit card is already with Amazon and Google. I'm not really right. sure I want to give it to Sony. Well, even well. Google has struggled to become that, but I think, I think yeah. they've gone a long way now. But yeah. it was a struggle for them to try and, and play with Amazon and Apple in terms of being a media yeah. vendor. I mean, if you own an Android phone, you, you're you probably more likely to use a Nexus 7 because... Right, because you're in the, you're you're in in the, the Google ecosystem, ecosystem yeah. as opposed to the Amazon or Apple mm-hmm. ecosystem. It's fa- fascinating to talk about Amazon this way. Mark, you have any thoughts about this one? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, I think the lightness aspect is actually sort of underrated in a way because I, I, I commute back and forth in the BART, which is the, the Bay Area sort of... Um, the train. Analog to the metro or the subway. And I see a lot of people actually holding their Kindles. I see a lot of people holding iPhones and iPads and so forth. And, you know, I was given a... <clears throat> uh, you know, an Acer Iconia W3, that's a sort of this mini Windows tablet to play around with for a while. And, you know, it doesn't seem like it's that 
heavy of a tablet. But when you're actually sitting on the uh, on the subway, holding onto a handrail, and just holding this in your hand for a long period of time, like 30 minutes or 45 minutes or so, that weight actually just pulls at your hand. And so something that's actually sort of lightweight and easy to use is I think it's going to be sort of critical um, for the tablet for the tablet market going forward. Very cool. Um, interesting to watch where Amazon goes from here. All right, I, my time is up. John Phillips, you wanted to talk about an, a particular aspect of this Amazon announcement that's really interesting. Sure. Right? So uh, the new tablets were announced yesterday, Kindle Fire HDX. There's a 7 and a 9-inch. They each come with a new feature called Mayday. <laughs> so this is a real-time video chat tech support mechanism. In essence, you you have your tablet in front of you. You press a button. Uh, within 14 seconds, that's the goal, a live uh, video window will pop up and you are looking at a tech support person. Now, that person can't see you. Uh, you can see them, and you apparently can ask them any question about your tablet, and they can start drawing on your screen in Telestrator fashion, pointing you to the correct places to go. Um, so I have two thoughts. Number one, this seems like an insanely complex, expensive <laughs> undertaking on Amazon's part. I mean, how many people do they need to employ, especially for day one, when everyone's going to want to you know, goof the system and click that button just to get that live person? Uh, so I don't understand how that's going to work from an infrastructure standpoint. Uh, but number two, uh, yeah, how many people are going to want to prank this and or are lonely and just want to click that button and talk to tech support or ask them about, you know, whatever pranks kids do these days? It's uh, So it, it sounds fantastic. And I'm wondering what people think. Is this feasible? Is What's going to happen on day one when this launches? Dan? I think the adjective you're looking for is hilarious because <laughs> the idea that this is a person who you can see they can't see you they can see your screen if you allow them it's like there's a person locked in a windowless box somewhere who's your dedicated tech support person who help help let me out of here and i'll show you how to do whatever you want on your kindle just please free me um i don't know it, it seems very strange and i i don't know how many people the the one-way video aspect i find is a little bit strange because I don't know how many people want to see the one person giving them video. Like, if you call those per- the, the people on the phone for tech support, do you do you really want to see those people and what they're doing while they're while they're giving you tech support? But the fact that it's not mutual is is strange because it's like a one way the one way video conversation aspect of it just seems very odd. It's just a strange idea. I think you're totally right. The scale of it is really really strange. How do you accommodate that many people? Is if, especially if this is as popular as no doubt Amazon wants it to be. How do you have that many people on on hand? And is it just is it odd? Is it weird to be sitting there and have looking at a live person telling you how to fix things? Like I have family members who come to me to fix things, but they know me, right? I you know I'm a known quantity. I'm I'm someone who they've dealt with. Having just a stranger doing that just seems it seems strangely invasive, even if they can't see. You. It's not the most it's not the most reassuring selling point either. I mean, if I'm going to be buying a Kindle tablet, I want to know that it just works. I mean, that's sort of the metaphor for the industry right now. I mean, if I'm so if I'm considering between an iPad and a, and a Kindle tablet and some other Android tablet, if I if I see that free tech support comes with it, I think the assumption is is that. I'm going to need tech support, <laughs> um, and that's not the sort of the point that I would like to sell if I'm and if, if I'm Amazon. Um, 
you know, and if I'm, if I'm sitting there as well, if I'm, and I'm trying to actually use this, this, this Mayday program, and I'm interacting with the, uh, the Amazon tech support and so forth, I'm just wondering, first of all, how in-depth are they going to go? Are they going to cover, um, is it just going to be the Android tablet itself? Are they going to handle other apps? I mean, there's a variety of questions that they can be asked here, and I'm not exactly sure how, how far will Amazon's willing to go or how much time it's willing to dedicate per person, too. So I think it's going to be interesting over time to see how this plays out. But um, Amazon has a nice reputation for customer service, but it's not necessarily a most, the most personal of companies either. It's always very automated. The branding part of it's really weird, too. Meta is what you you know radio when you're going down and you ship. <laughs> it seems a little, yeah, it's your, it's a little your, fatalistic. I, I, when I posted this about this, when, I, when, it, uh, when the story dropped, uh, immediately the response I got from lots of people on Twitter was exactly what Mark was saying, which is, wow, so, so they mean they expect you're going to need a lot of help with this thing, which is not what they mean, but that's how it, it can very easily be read that way. I, I'm reminded when the Kindle first came out, they had this crazy um, Mechanical Turk inspired feature called, I think it was called like Ask Kindle, where you could literally like, it was an experimental feature and you could ask it things and they just used the Mechanical Turk engine, which is like literally just people in random places on the internet get paid a few cents to answer the question. Um, I don't think you can do that for face-to-face tech support though, so that there's a cost thing here. I love the audacity of this, of like Amazon saying, we're going to press a button and we're not going to make it hard for you to talk to tech support and we're going to do screen sharing, which makes it easy and we're going to have these people trained It'll be fascinating to see how it works. I, but I love, I love how ambitious this is, and I think it's a cool idea to say we have the technology. And I know I have troubleshot things using screen sharing with members of my family, and it helps a whole lot. So having screen sharing and audio could really make a difference in educating people about how to use these things. But it's got to be expensive. It's fascinating to see Amazon say we're going to do this. We're going to make this outlay in order to help these people, as long as it doesn't backfire on them and make people feel like, why do I need? You know, somebody to to walk me through everything on this tablet. So, but I think it's a cool. I think it's just crazy, and I love that it's this crazy idea that they're trying. All right, Dan, I think it's your turn. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about Steam OS. Now, Steam is a product made by Valve, and currently, basically, it's an online gaming product that you install on your PC or your Mac or your Linux box, whatever. It's like an um, app store and, for games, right? Yeah, yeah, it's an app store. For, it's a, it's lets you buy games, lets you download games, lets you install updates, all have a social community, all of this. And Valve is very, very popular. It's one of those game companies that's managed to create a very dedicated following for itself, mainly through its its uh, development of the Half-Life series um, and Team Fortress, Portal, all of those games. Um, and they've always been one of those game companies that's kind of like a Nintendo or something where they set themselves apart like they have their own. They kind of do their own thing um, and they're pretty comfortable in their niche. But there's been rumors for years that they may, might launch their own console, essentially. Um, and earlier this week, they announced what could be the first sort of major step to that, which is called Steam OS, which is basically a free Linux-based operating system that it's going to make available to manufacturers, TV makers, uh, set-top box makers, whatever, to bring this the functionality of Steam and attach it to your television in your living room. Um, so they're kind of mounting this interesting incursion into the console market, uh, which is interesting at a time when the console market is about to sort of hit its next stride with the Xbox One and the PS4 uh, all coming out soon. Um, so I'm intrigued and I'm curious to know what you guys think. Is this something that is compelling? I should note, as we record this, I think 
towards right around the time we finish recording, they are scheduled, uh, Valve scheduled to make its next announcement, which some people might think actually is a, which people, some, some people might think is actually a hardware component to this. And for an update on that, let's go to future Dan Morin, who will tell <laughs> us what it was. Why, yes, Jason, Steam has made an announcement. They are providing a prototype version of the Steam box to 300 lucky folks on Steam who complete certain tasks that they're calling the hardware beta eligibility quest. Those prototype boxes will ship later this year with actual partner boxes shipping to the general public into 2014. Thanks, future Dan. You're welcome, Jason. Uh, Mark, what do you think about this uh, shenanigans in the game market? Well, I think it's an ambitious undertaking, certainly. I mean, um, they have these, these, these sort of humble bundle uh, weekly things where you can buy all these, these, this, this bundle of games and pay what you want. And for a dollar, essentially, you can download Steam keys. And I just find myself compelled to do this over and over because um, I can go ahead and just select any sort of, con- any sort of PC that I want. And I, I, can, I can just instantly re- download and re-download these games constantly. And there's achievements and so forth. And it's just, it's, it's a, as far as the PC experience is concerned, it's heads or tails. Heads and tails above anything else that anyone else really offers. Um, the one thing I would say, though, though, is that I think that uh, making this this platform based upon Linux, though, is certainly an ambitious undertaking as well. I mean, just Linux gaming has always sort of been sort of there in the shadows, sort of struggled here and there, and so forth. And if if Steam can be sort of the impetus to 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 to, to, to persuade developers to go ahead and to, to write for Linux and to write for Steam OS and so forth, um, it gives the industry. Uh, another platform to write for, which is you know brings up the issue of fragmentation and so forth. But um, I'm, I'm I'm really interested to see where they take this. I don't think that it's going to be as, as successful as they hope it will be. But uh, at the same, because first of all, they have this big picture implementation, which you know sort of throws the PC onto a, a TV screen for you to use a gamepad and so forth. And I I, I don't really think that that has been uh, quite a success. But you know I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Valve is a unique developer with a, a track record of success, and uh, you know. You know, in a year from two, a year or two from now, we could all be saying, "Wow, you know, we should have seen this coming." If anybody could do it, I think it's it's Valve with right. Steam. I mean, Steam is they've got the App Store, so they've got the platform. Um, it, it's more PC oriented, so having it become translate to essentially kind of console land is a little bit strange. But they've got the clout with the developers to do it. Um, they just need to, you know, simplify the control options, I suppose. Um, I like the fact that they're not going to limit it to a box that they would make, right. that, that this could be in- integrated into sort of anybody's hardware. Um, it, I, 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 I'm like you. I'm a little skeptical about how big it can be and whether this is going to be more like a, a cult kind of thing. But when you're looking at the other game machines – saying, well, we're not really game machines. We're broad uh, digital entertainment boxes that also play games. Maybe there's a place for a console, essentially, that is for gamers and is and it takes it all a little more seriously. And they're certainly not hurting for great games. Certainly should be as successful as the Ouya. Or the- yeah, <laughs> I actually, that was my first thought. It's like, well, if I'm the Ouya developers, maybe I say, uh, hey, how can we also run Steam and, and, and split yeah, the difference? I, but As the- long as they can get all the driver support and everything, which I think Mark was alluding to with the fragmentation. Like, mm-hmm. that's a problem PC gamers have had for a long time. And the, the nice thing about an Xbox or a PlayStation is There's that only everybody one. has the same hardware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, so you don't have to fight with your friends about, like, hey, your graphics card's better than mine. That's why you always kill me in Quake. So this is a little like Amazon in the sense that it's a mm-hmm. it's a, a company, a group that has had great success in this one area that's sort of saying, okay, we're going to do hardware now, basically, or we're going to do an operating system. Um, and and so I think, I think that gives them a leg up in some ways but in others you know boy the competition is stiff and uh, we'll we'll see john what do you think yeah well 
I mean, I think Steam is looking at the uh, what's happening to the PC market in general and looking at how people are taking their entertainment to the living room. And they want to make sure that they have a, a flag in the ground for the living room. There's going to be, I th- believe, three different levels of Steam boxes. And, um, I mean, in some ways, this is also a... Um, you know, Valve's way of saying they don't trust w- Windows to carry their their gaming load into perpetuity. So um, I, I do think, I mean, it's no matter what, these are going to be niche products. And I, I think there's still going to be a lot of hardcore PC gamers who uh, might use their PCs first and foremost for games, but also use it for a ton of Windows things. So who's who's ultimately going to buy this? Maybe it's the person who's a a Mac user who doesn't want to buy a PC but wants to play all these great PC games. Maybe it's someone who doesn't even see themselves as a PC owner. Maybe they've already migrated to tablets and smartphones, but they still want to get the great PC games. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as, as someone who plays PC games and also uses all those Windows desktop applications, I don't really see myself as a Steambox candidate or a SteamOS candidate. Well, I, I agree with a lot of what you guys had to say. John, particularly, I think, had a good point. I mean, I'm a, I'm a diehard Mac user, and that's meant, you know, I don't get access to a lot of PC games. I've been an Xbox owner for a lot of years. But when it comes to this sort of next round of consoles, if Steam can come out with something that's compelling, and especially, as Mark pointed out, they do a great job with all these bundles and everything of having a lot of games available at good price points, uh, this could be, for me, more compelling than looking into something like an Xbox One. So I'm interested. We'll see what happens. Right. I think that leads us to uh, to the last topic of the day, which is Mark. You, you, boy, are your arms tired? You just flew in <laughs> exactly. from New York, right. where, as I as I believe on Monday, you went to the Surface Two mm-hmm. announcement, and I assume that your topic is about that. It is, it is indeed. So Microsoft introduced the Surface 2 and the Surface Pro 2. I always want to say Surface 2 Pro, but it's, it's not the case. Um, which are uh, basically two essentially identical tablets at, compared to the current Surface and the Surface Pro, but with a Haswell upgrade. That's the fourth generation Intel Core processor. And what this does is it really goes ahead and increases the performance of the tablets. Um, it also has the, uh, the sort of the corollary effect of, of increasing the battery life because Haswell manages power much better than the, the third generation core does. Um, we've also got um, uh, the pricing is, is, is roughly the same, a little bit cheaper in some cases. It uh, starts off with the Surface Pro at 64 gigabytes for the, for the pen for $899. The Surface 2, the, the base ARM model, starts off at $449 for the 32 gigabyte uh, um, version. We've got the, uh, the Surface, the, the first generation Surface RT, or the first generation Surface still is still going to be sold. The, the, second, the, the first generation Surface Surface Pro will not be. So yeah. essentially we have They've three got extras. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, right. We have, right. We have Tons three of inventory just sitting there. Skews. Now, the other yeah. aspect of it, we've got these all these other accessories that come with it, too. We've got a second-generation type cover, second-generation touch cover. We've got this interestingly named battery cover, which is going to increase the battery life of the Surface uh, 2 Pro. Um up to about t- uh, 10 hours or 12 hours, depending upon use and so forth. Uh, these type covers and touch covers uh, both have backlighting, which is a very nice feature to have, especially once you go into a, a darkened conference room or a darkened uh, lecture hall. Um, I've been told, and I'm not sure about this, but the, I'm sure that the, the battery cover does not have backlighting, which is odd because that's sort of the cover that I'm hoping to actually use because it's hopefully, supposedly will add a bit of more rigidity, a little bit more stability, and of course, you know, increase the battery life. So is the battery cover also a keyboard? The 
the battery cover is awesome. Okay, keyboard. not just a battery. Yeah. No, 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 it's oh. not. It's sort of along the lines. Of, my hope is really that it's going to sort of transform this into sort of a two-in-one, which is sort of the the topic, the sort of the category du jour within laptops. Right, uh, I, and that I was going to jump off on that because sure. it, it struck me from your coverage that this is a product that is much more laptopy it is. than tablety, and that, uh, that that Microsoft is. Wow, I almost said Apple there. That's crazy. At Microsoft, <laughs> yeah, can just confuse those companies. Um, Microsoft is kind of embracing the PC aspect, which, I mean, that sort of makes sense. Um, and on this very podcast, when we were talking about what what uh, they need to do to fix Surface, um, I said uh, they need to embrace that it's a laptop. And what's interesting is they did change the kickstand so it can it can go in a slightly more laptopy yeah, way. But what they didn't do that. is like add. I wanted like a keyboard with like a clamp so I could right. really use it like a laptop. And they didn't do that, so it's still more like a tabletop, yeah. teetering on your legs if you yeah, try to exactly use it that way. It's teetering, it's still going to cut into your legs and so yeah, forth. It that's just bizarre does, to me. It is. Yeah, that, 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 that would seem they like if it was truly it. a convertible. And there was a way to like make it into a laptop and then pull it off, and it's a tablet. I, I think it would be much more exciting. But instead, it's this weird like it's a laptop you use on a table. Yeah, I agree. And then, mm. now, the one thing they also have is this this docking station, which wasn't quite functional. It was sort of a uh, just sort of like a, a mo- not necessarily a mock up, but a sort of a functional mock up without actually having any screens attached to it. And, you know, it allows you to drive a couple of monitors. It's got yeah, USB ports cool. and so forth. It does look again. Cool. It's a I desktop. Yeah, more than a laptop. Yeah, but, but, but I think that cool. I think that the the various um, the, the various form factors of it, the, the way to sort of Connect these, connect this tablet to various attachments and peripherals and so forth. That could be a real selling point down the line. I think that's a, that's a nice, it's a nice feature. John, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, you know the, my sum total reaction to the announcements was uh, Surface Two is going to be a bust, just like Surface RT. It seems like a prettied up rehash of the original, which didn't sell. But um, I got I'm, I got to get the name right. Surface Two Pro is actually a very compelling looking product, and I think it ties directly to the dock and to the power cover. So, um, you know, if I'm about to buy a new PC, I'm going to bite the bullet and upgrade to Windows 8.1 from 7. I'm looking at the competitive set and what's out there. The the Surface uh, 2 Pro looks really interesting. You get the essentially all-day battery life, so you get double the battery life of the current Surface Pro. And it's the dock that, that, um, you know, makes you think, wow, I could take this around. It's my everyday tablet. I could bring it on the plane. I could use it on the subway. I, I'm into work now. I put it into the docking station. And because of the Haswell architecture, it really does have enough power to be your full-time PC. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it, the, the price is still high. And I think they're going to be hammered from left and right by their OEM partners on better pricing. But, it, you know, it's a very sophisticated uh, looking piece of hardware. So it's got nice industrial design. I, I think um, I think they're gonna I, th- I think this update to Surface Pro is gonna impress people and mm-hmm. it's gonna sell better than the original. I'm still really worried about Surface Two. Yeah. I don't think they should be in this market. The, Win- the Windows RT market seems to just be a disaster. Yeah, right. Dan, are you still there, or did you rush out to buy a Surface Two Pro or Pro Two? I have four surfaces on my. They're actually just regular surfaces, like a it's desk. like a table. Put yeah. things on. <laughs> uh, I, we talked a little bit about the Surface on one of our recent. Podcasts, yeah. and I think the, the the problem for me is still does the Surface solve a problem that the people are having, or is Microsoft still trying to do a little bit too much with it? You know, try to be everything to everybody. Um, I don't know if the Surface Two fixes that. It definitely seems like they've they've taken some time to improve the hardware quality. 
and to offer you know better power management, all of these features. These are great boxes to check, but does it get at the fundamental root of the problem, which is that you know what is the point of this device? Is it really a no compromise device, or is it kind of like all compromise? Um, so I I don't know. I I expect it might sell a little bit better if only because it's more efficient, it's more usable because of those hardware alterations that they've made. There's more power, there's more efficiency, uh, all those things. But I'm not convinced that it's going to be the blockbuster product that Microsoft really wants or needs it to be because it doesn't get to that fundamental issue of, you know, what's going on with the OS, where are the apps, that kind of stuff. So I'm not sold yet, but I'm, I'm, you know, I've been hopeful that they would do something interesting with this. And I think there were some cool elements of the, of the surface. I do think that the keyboard stuff they're doing is really clever. And I, I wish that there was a, a, as good an implementation there on the, uh, on the iOS side. Um, yeah. But at the moment, I'm not. I'm not sold. The, so we got four topics in. Uh, we like to take a, a moment at the end of the show to do a bonus topic about a completely unrelated thing. Dan, do you have a bonus topic for us? I I do. We we recently wrote a story about uh, the unmasking of the horse ebooks account, which turned out to not be a like randomly generated Twitter account, but actually just a, a real dude <laughs> writing Concept strange art. things. <laughs> Uh, so my question for you guys is: Do you have a favorite fake Twitter account that isn't horse ebooks? Well, it's a baseball related one, but I believe it's called Old Hoss Radboard. Oh yeah, that's yes, a great account. That's right. So it's sort of the uh, sort of a modern baseball from the perspective of an 18th century ball player. So I think that uh, that's probably my candidate at this point. I want to I want to pick the uh, there's a fake Batman account that's hilarious where he <laughs> is really cranky and angry but I'm going to pick J Jonah Jameson who is railing about that how that Parker kid took some lousy photos and Miss Brandt needs to get him some coffee and teenagers cause him trouble and all in all caps and it's great it is J Jonah Jameson's Twitter account uh, I created a, a fake Twitter account I don't know if I'm going to mention the name but I try I, I'll just say this I followed a bunch of people within the first you know ten minutes and Twitter shut down the account. That they somehow a bot shut it down, and I'm not sure what what rule I violated. That's uh, sad. And I was yeah, shut down, so I'm not going to share the name until I get it moving again. Although I do love the fact that every single character from an Aaron Sorkin show has its own fake Twitter account, which is kind of <laughs> delightful. I like to pretend that the West Wing still exists. Uh, I'm going to pick um, a, a lesser known, a very niche account, the Tech Shark, which covers all of your shark and tech related needs, because there's a lot of news about sharks. You may not be aware of it. But if you follow the tech shark, you would be aware of all the shark-related news that you need to know. All right. I think uh, we've been carefully watching the clock. I know how I have, and I think we're literally out of time. John Phillips, thank you for being here. Thanks. And Mark Hockman, thank you for being here. My pleasure. So until next time, from all of us here at the Clockwise Podcast, all corners of the clock dial, the clock face, uh, we remind you to watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Goodbye. This clock has a face. (laughs) You said all quarters <laughs> of the clock. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that doesn't make any sense.